0: What's up, everyone? I'm Andrew Steinwald, and this is Zima Red. On this show, we speak with the users, founders, and creatives that are diving into the world of unique digital assets, also called non-fungible tokens. My guest today is GoWest, a crypto OG, NFT connoisseur, and founder of the newsletter Nifty Report. GoWest has been involved with crypto since the very, very early days and was one of the first people to get involved with CryptoKitties. He brings a value investor mindset to the world of non-fungibles and explains how he looks for assets with true longevity. It was an honor speaking with Go West and it gave me a great perspective on our ecosystem. When your boots are on the ground day to day, it's hard to see the bigger picture, but Go West does an exceptional job of making me zoom out and realize that we are on the front lines of a massive paradigm shift. Please enjoy. Go West, so thank you so much for coming on today, having a conversation about all things NFTs. So to get us started, I would love to hear about your backgrounds, and how you first got involved in crypto, and then the non-fungible token space.
1: Sure, yeah, pleasure to be here, Andrew. Uh, we've chatted online quite a bit on uh, Discord, and uh, it's nice to have an actual uh, human conversation. And more than happy to share the story with you. I've just shared the story with my accountant, so uh. <laughs> not the first time in in the last month. So happy to happy to tell some stories yeah I got uh, I first got wind of Bitcoin way back in uh, October September, October 2010ish. Uh, I was just reading a random Reddit article. I thought it was kind of interesting. Uh, I think it linked over to the Bitcoin talk forum. so I went over there and just saw I don't know some really excited kind of developers, people. I mean this was this was very early and they were all just trying to figure out how to make it work. I think there might have been an exchange at that point, but not really. I, th- I think this is pre-Mount Gox. So if there was any exchange happening, it was it was mostly people just sending each other Bitcoins for free just to make, you know, test to see if the system worked. And uh, I downloaded the Bitcoin wallet and I had this old media PC that I wasn't really using for anything. So I, I loaded it up on there. And I just remember the CPU running for like at 100% for like two days straight and I didn't I had no idea what was going on. I'm guessing it was trying to sync with the blockchain, but it shouldn't have taken that long because it was only 2010, but I don't know, maybe the software didn't work that well back then. So I was just like, ah, this thing's gonna you know, destroy my computer. So I just uninstalled it and forgot about it. Didn't really pay attention. And then June 2011 happens and there's the first bubble and Bitcoin hits like $32 US. My, you know, my personal background, I've been, you know, dabbling in in investments since I was a teenager, since I was like 18, 19. Uh, I like to gamble here and there, you know, seeing something go from nothing to $32, like what, that obviously got me interested. So like, what the hell is this thing? And I didn't really hesitate too much. And I started, I started buying some and I found an IRC channel with, uh, I'm Canadian, so uh, found some other Canadians and and who are selling bitcoins, and then we could do interact cash transfers online through the through our banking system. So I started buying bitcoins at you know thirty two dollars US or so. You know it was in like the forties Canadian. Actually, I think the Canadian dollar was pretty strong back then, so it might have been in the thirties. Invested a few grand and then uh, watched. You know the this is the the uh, the perennial bitcoin story. Watched my money vaporize by ninety percent as it uh, crashed to $2. But I still, I had a lot of faith in this thing. It made sense to me. I saw it as a really good speculative opportunity and, and potentially something that could really be world changing, you know, really change the world of finance. So, and then uh, around the same time, I started a, a blog. I'm a mechanical engineer by background, but I've, I've always, I don't know, I guess I, I, I like to write. So I was like, well, how can I, you know, help spread the message of Bitcoin. So I started a blog. Yeah, I remember writing, I did an interview with a guy named Bruce Wagner, old, old, you know, old Bitcoin people remember that guy, total, total fraud. And I would write four or five posts a day. Like I, I went crazy with it. And I remember writing one. It was around Bitcoin, it's, it was still around like three or four bucks. And the total market cap was about $30 million. I remember, I remember the title it was like, why is Bitcoin bitcoin's market cap 30 30 million dollars makes no sense this is this is the most important one of the most important inventions ever and is and it's just like why aren't people getting into this then 2012 happened and I think it maybe got up to about 10 12 bucks but what happened over the course of 2012 is I got bored right I'm, I'm expecting like this big rebound and as the months wear on and you know it kind of feels like what's happening in 2019 right now the months wear on and Maybe this was a stupid investment. I've made, you know, four, four or five times my money. Maybe it's time to cash out or spend it on something or what. So, so in 2012, kind of, this was kind of the first iteration of ICOs, if you will. There was something called the Global Bitcoin Stock Exchange. The Global Bitcoin Stock Exchange was the GLBSE, and what it was is just. It was like mining startups. It was people starting up projects related to Bitcoin that were looking for funding. And I ended up just investing thousands of Bitcoins into into these really sketchy projects.
0: And these were startups?
1: Yeah, they were, you know, like a, like an insurance company. So instead of like what Coinbase does right now with custody, it was you could buy insurance through this website and if you lost your private key or whatever, they would, they would uh, cover you or things like that. Or one of them was a zero confirmation service. So like people weren't accepting transactions until they had six confirmations, which was the standard. So what these guys would do is they would be the middleman. They would ensure your transaction goes through at zero confirmations. And then they would guarantee to the, the person receiving the, the Bitcoins that they would guarantee that the transaction was was valid and that they get their money. So there was a middleman and they would take a fee and it was all, it was all kind of, you know, the interesting propositions. And needless to say, all that, all those Bitcoins vaporized and mining, like I'm sure there are people that are people out there that argue with this, but I, I would never invest in any sort of mining company whatsoever. Cause really, why is that? Well, all they do is take a loan out, they buy a bunch of hardware, which is generally, it's usually obsolete by the time the mining companies even get it. So they, they get this hardware, they mine as many coins as they can and the difficulty goes up and then they, they're sitting on useless hardware and hopefully they've made enough money back to pay back their creditors. If you can, it's one of those things, it's like musical chairs, right? If you, if you can grab a seat before the music stops then yay, you'll come out ahead, but chances are you won't. If the miners are successful, generally that means Bitcoin itself is successful, so just hold it. Hold the damn coins. <laughs> Don't make it more complicated than it needs to be. Uh, same thing with any of these Bitcoin-related services, right? If they're going to succeed, it means it means the ecosystem is succeeding,
0: which means Bitcoin is going up in value. Just hold the damn coins. So, were you attracted to Bitcoin on a philosophical level, or or in terms of like, a, oh, I can make a great return from this, or what was your attraction to it originally?
1: First, for sure, it was it was looking for a return. But then as I kind of, as things settled down and, and the, you know, the markets got a little quieter and volume volume dropped off and there I am sitting with my Bitcoin. And so, you know, you sit there and you research and you talk to people. And I was uh, I was a part of a Skype group called the Bitcoin business Alliance. And this, this goes back to 2011 and all the founders of Ripple Vitalik was in there before Ethereum. Uh, I remember meeting him at a Bitcoin conference in uh, 2013, before he started Ethereum, and we were just we were just all members of this this Skype group. I didn't amount to any but anything, but but it was, it's it's kind of neat to to think that you know all these arguably famous people were were just hanging out in the same chat room with this with the same ideals and trying to f- figure out a way to make this work because they knew there was something there and and something good that could uh, could come from it. So all I had was my my blog, and then I had a site which uh, it was just an affiliate site for online gambling sites. Which, when I made it, it was the first one.
0: So it was the top of Google. So that did pretty well. But uh, affiliate for it was crypto gambling or was it all, all types of gambling? Uh, crypto gambling, yeah. yeah. Okay. So like Satoshi Dice and stuff like
1: that? Yeah. Satoshi Dice. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a, if, if you search for my uh, alias on um, Bitcoin Talk, you'll come across a conversation between me and Eric Voorhees where I, I think I de- deposited like, I, invested or, or spent whatever whatever verb you want to use 600 bitcoins in satoshi dice and i was up like 2500 bitcoins and i i mentioned it in, in bitcoin talk and i'm like hey hey check this out i'm kicking some ass and eric responded with uh, i want you to die or i hope you die i think is what he said wow. <laughs> jokingly but uh, anyway of course of course i gave it all back because that's what happens with satoshi dice but it was fun but yeah i'd refer people to sites like that get a little, little little revenue that way and and quite honestly the only reason why I still had any bitcoin by the time the 2013 bubble happened was because I had this this revenue coming in because basically all of the bitcoin that I had I had held on to as as an investment I had spent in one way or another I know people listening to this would be like you know bitcoin was 20 bucks or 30 bucks and you just you didn't hold on to it. Like, what, what were you thinking? I know it's really easy when it's seven thousand dollars to look back at six years ago and think to yourself, "Oh man, why? Obviously, you should have just held on to it." But back then, there was no there was no inclination that it would ever. I remember thinking very distinctly, having the the thought that Bitcoin going to one hundred dollars was was absolutely impossible. Like maybe one in a million chance. Um, it was just going to take such a a crazy amount of interest and investment for that to happen but sure enough it did ended up going to a thousand dollars in 2013 but having jumped in mostly at you know below three dollars and seeing it go to 10 or 12 that's a pretty good return return on investment so you know keep that in perspective and what's funny is now, we're, here we are at $7,000 and we're still having the same conversations, right? We're still having the, you know, is this going to zero question being asked? Is this, is this just another South Sea bubble? Is this not going to go anywhere? If you asked me six years ago or eight years ago, you know, what would the state of Bitcoin be if it was worth $7,000, I would never in a million years have thought that there'd still be this question of, it, you know, questioning of its longevity. Because if, it, if it's seven thousand dollars, obviously it's it's worked out. It's it's a global phenomenon, and everybody's using it, and it's a it's being invested in by you know credit you know credible investors. Obviously, there's there's no issue. Bitcoin's going to survive forever, and it's going to keep going up. But no, it, it, it's the same conversation we had when it when it was three dollars. Here we are at seven thousand dollars. So it's that's kind of interesting that way.
0: It's very true. And then were you involved in color coins at all in 2013? Because that was like I guess the pre-beta for. Or NFTs. So I'm like, okay, you interested in non-fungibles, because there was that period where there really really wasn't any non-fungible type of token development, I guess for I guess beside color coins. And then in 2017, like were you involved in CryptoPunks or CryptoKitties or how'd that work out? I had I remember
1: I remember when colored coins first came out and they were being discussed in the in the Bitcoin talk forums and I thought it was interesting, but I didn't I didn't uh, get into it any any more than that. I just kinda I kept an eye on 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 what they were doing, and it was it was more of a an experiment that didn't really amount to anything. Uh, that's my recollection, anyway. As far as NFTs go, no, I didn't dabble in, in them at all until until 2017. Like most people, um, I was trading heavily in 2017, kind of looking to diversify a little bit and also to just you know. The 2017 market was kind of like, all right, ride, you know, one ride, one elevator up 10 floors, get, get off try to pick the next elevator and, and keep going up and build your portfolio that way. I was playing the whole Bitcoin, Bitcoin cash thing. And then I did, if I got the sequence of memories right here, I, I did well on IOTA. I think it got in at like 60 cents. It got out at like four bucks or something. And then, um, I saw some tweets about crypto kitties. They were still in beta. Still in, in, in private beta testing and uh, saw something about the launch date, November 26th or 27th or whatever it was, uh, 2017. So sure enough, they launch and uh, I actually like set a reminder to myself to, to make sure I log in and create an account as soon as they launch and they launch and uh, I see all these cats for sale, not really knowing what, what it was all about and, you know, did a little bit of research and... and I was like, so these are like collectibles, like collectible cats that you actually own. You can prove you own them. And everybody's going nuts looking for the next big thing in crypto. This could be pretty big. Of course, they had all their founder cats for sale that they were you know trying to sell to raise money. Cats one to a hundred. So I was like, ah, what the hell? It's uh, and it, w- it wasn't cheap. I was like, all, all right, I'm going to buy one of these founder cats. So I bought cat number 11 for 10 Ethereum, which at the time was not. You know, it was a good chunk of money. It was, it was like between three and four thousand dollars US, which is insane. So I bought this picture of a cat for a lot of money. You know, for you know the price of a good used car. So I, I was the first person to buy a founder cat, and I remember CryptoKitties tweeting about. I was actually trying to find the, the tweet the other day. They're like, "Oh, we sold our first founder cat." Yeah, four days later, I flipped it for seventy-five Ethereum. It just went insane. I really, obviously, you know this, this whole thing, this whole, uh, this last 10 years is just, you know, filled with the uh, hindsight, but, um, yeah, I wish I, wish I bought a bunch more. So, and I, I bought a couple more and flipped them for you know, a little, a little bit more money. And, but what was interesting at the time was nobody understood how any, any of this breeding worked. So you would, take two cats and smash them together and see what happened and nobody knew what you're going to get if, if it was going to create a new fancy cat if it was going to create something incredibly valuable that people were going to chase after so it was it was really exciting an exciting time and now it's a it's a real science right i mean there's still some there's still some unknowns to it there's there's you know the whole the whole random number generator aspect to it but as far as how the game worked nobody really knew back then so that, that was really neat Yeah, so I kind of got out of cats after that, kind of cashed everything out at the beginning of 2018, which, you know, having been through this was my fourth bubble. It was pretty obvious that everything was going to come crashing. It's just it crashing down. It's just a matter of where's the top. Right. So I kind of wrote it down maybe, you know, 15 percent. And then I was like, all right, I'm out. I don't really care if this goes up more. I need to take my profits. So sold everything. I didn't own any cats or anything. 2018. For the most part, the first eight months or so, I didn't uh, I didn't hold any crypto, didn't hold any NFTs. And then uh, slowly started getting back into it. And I, I didn't start uh, getting back into crypto. I started getting back into CryptoKitties. Yeah, what was that? My impression was that, you know, having watched all these altcoins drop by 90%, 95%, my impression was that most people kind of figured out that it was that they weren't really viable investments, right? Like what did, what are these coins? What do you what are you holding? What do they represent? Why why do they have value? Like we're seeing that with like Ripple right now, right? The whole platform works without the coin. Sure, there might be some aspects of it that work better with with XRP, but the whole thing works without it. Right? So what what's the future of any of these coins? Why why hold an EOS token? Why hold, you know, Link or Matic and and you know, you'll you're still you're always gonna get people who try to convince you that there's going to be enough actual demand for these coins because people are using these platforms that they're going to go up in value. We haven't seen it. You have faith in any sort of cryptocurrencies today? Uh, besides Bitcoin, not really. Even Ethereum? The question about Ethereum, like if I if I have to choose a second one, it's going to be Ethereum. The question is, what value? What value does it need to have for the network to function? Right. As we go to proof of stake, uh, assuming that all works correctly, uh, again I'm not a developer, so I'm not saying it will or won't work correctly. But if there's millions of coins being held for for staking, then then yeah, the supply demand curve will cause it to increase in price. And if we look at stock flow ratio, it's comparable with Bitcoin, right? The, the rate of inflation between Ethereum and Bitcoin is is, is similar, so. Um, there can definitely be more of an investment case made for Ethereum than for pretty much every other altcoin.
0: So y- your universe of good cryptos is basically Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Ethereum barely makes the list. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a fair assessment.
0: I mean, look at the look at the ratio. Right. I think I think Bitcoin as a store
1: of value makes sense. I'm not too worried about. I mean, to me, it looks crazy when you watch like there was a there was a documentary I watched about mining, and it's just miners creating these bigger, building these bigger and bigger warehouses with more and more hardware and demanding more and more electricity. And it just seems like it's going to stop at some point, right? It's just, it's just, it's just nothing can grow exponentially forever. So I think we'll see Bitcoin move to a different type of algorithm, or, you know, maybe it'll get so big and become so important. And this could happen simultaneously with some sort of systemic issue in the Traditional banking system that maybe governments will get behind mining or that sort of thing, and and sustain. That's a algorithm. really so bold. I, I could see statement that happening. to say
0: that you think it's possible that Bitcoin could change its consensus algorithm. So you think it's possible that Bitcoin could move to like proof of stake or something? I think it needs to,
1: unless we you know unless we start spinning up nuclear reactors to to mine Bitcoins. There's a fixed limit to the amount of energy that's going to be be made available for mining Bitcoin. So. I don't think it's going to go away. It just needs to evolve somehow. And and I guess we'll wait and see what that's going to be. But there's always going to be some sort of demand for an alternative store of value that's completely disconnected from everything traditional. So from that perspective,
0: Bitcoin is never, never going to go away. There's always going to be some, some sort of demand for it. Okay, and then going back to non-fungible tokens, we kind of spoke about this briefly, but I want to go a little deeper. What is it about NFTs that makes you continue to participate in this kind of economy in and this and the social, it is kind of a social, there's definitely a social aspect to it. But what is about NFTs that makes you participate in this? Right.
1: Uh, full disclosure right now, I hold almost zero cryptocurrency, just kind of waiting for things to settle out. But I hold a lot of NFTs. I feel like NFTs are outside of the store of value case for Bitcoin. I feel like NFTs are one of the first true use cases for cryptocurrency. Because you you're actually holding something tangible, not in the physical sense, but something that has that you can see is scarce. You can prove the ownership. You can prove the provenance of it. Especially when you look at things like art, uh, you can see how how crazy the entire digital NFT art ecosystem is going right now. It's just it just makes so much sense, especially when you include the smart contract aspect of it. The fact that artists collect a commission every time their art is resold. It's just, it's incredible. You can see if you just hang out on Twitter, the number of new artists that are coming into the system right now and and trying to sell their art, it just makes sense for them. So yeah, NFTs in general. I mean, I'm 40 years old. I started gaming like everybody else my age, you know, on Nintendo and whatnot. And the first online game that I was big into was Ultima Online. And of course you had swords and armor and all sorts of all sorts of digital assets that bought and had value and would go up in value because if there was demand for them but you didn't own them you didn't own them outside the game they didn't exist outside the game you could you know sell them on ebay even though that wasn't really allowed and collect the money in the game you know the gold coins or whatever i mean that was my first taste of of owning something digital in a game and because of that because of that experience and obviously other people are, are hurt you know have experienced that over the last 20 years there's obviously a need and a demand for that sort of thing so to be able to own it outside of whatever ecosystem the you know whatever game you're playing or and to be able to trade it without any limitation or that sort of thing uh, i mean it's just the, the sky's the limit as far as what can be done so I find it extremely interesting from from that perspective. And then when you get into things like decentral land and crypto voxels and owning digital land, it's just it's really interesting stuff. And I, I think um, there's an excellent investment case. But outside of that. You know, even if you're just an enthusiast, if you're a stamp collector or, you know, maybe you were a, a magic card collector or something like that. Or, you know, even hockey and baseball cards like we all were when we were, you know, in the, in the 90s and in the 80s and before. If that's just something you like to do as a hobby, well, this is this is where you need to pivot to because it creates this huge global market case. It, it takes away any risk of fraud. Uh, you can prove scarcity It's just,
0: it's really, it's really compelling. So yeah, you had Ultima, you had World of Warcraft, you had all these different online games and they're very popular, et cetera. They were these closed ecosystems. But now because these non fungible tokens are trading on a blockchain, which is essentially like a a ready built financial system plugged into it and that's interoperable. You're seeing that the potential for the non fungible token market is just, it's basically like combining every single game together. Is that kind of like what you think? I think it's going to be
1: the new standard for a collectible period. Anything like comic books, baseball cards. I mean, look at MLB crypto. I mean, obviously they're having their struggles. Maybe, you know, maybe the the way they, they went about it wasn't right. But it's to me, it's just going to be the new standard for
0: anything collectible, period. Even physical goods, you think, will we'll have a digital token component to them.
1: The whole world is going towards minimalism, right? It's... Uh, you know reducing the impact on the environment people live in smaller spaces they're not gonna have room for physical collectibles for a nice you know big piece of physical artwork and then as we you know pivot into this metaverse concept uh, and you know combine that with online presence arguably being, being as or more meaningful than your physical presence it makes sense that the demand for non-fungible tokens, for the for digital collectibles is going to far outweigh anything physical because physical things are just you know they're kind of a burden, right? You you have to there's a cost of storage. There's if you own something physical, there's there's effort and cost involved in in in, in yeah in maintaining its condition. So something digital, but it's funny like with CryptoKitties. If you if you breed them, then then their condition deteriorates, you know, in in, in a virtual sense. And so there's there's aspects like that, but if you could hold, uh, let's say, you know, Marvel comes out with an NFT version of some comic book, that would be far more, you know, don't you think there would be huge demand for something like that? Undoubtedly. Would it? it would be, yeah, it would be insane. It would be absolutely insane. And imagine they said there's only a hundred, you know, we're going to create issue one of, you know, some new character comic book, and there's only going to be a thousand of them. Go like holy cow can you imagine mm-hmm. we're getting excited about you know crypto kitties what's you know what's the what's the provenance of crypto kitties well besides the fact that they're the first token of their kind and they were the first one to go viral i mean there's no real provenance there but if you if you start if you get these these existing media companies coming in and creating their tokens which we're seeing now the demand for those is going to be excessive mm-hmm. and then i think what you'll see from that is you'll you'll have hardcore collectors see these things and they'll be like, all right, well, what's you know what came before that? You know, what's what's older than that? What's what has more collectible value? And then they'll start looking at things like crypto kitties and crypto punks and all these NFTs that are coming out now or came out in the last two years. I think from a collectible
0: aspect, they're gonna have a lot uh, a lot more value. When you're looking at different non fungible token projects, is there kind of a framework that you have like a mental framework or investment framework or something that you have to be like, okay, this is a, this is a stellar project or, oh, okay, this project is no good. I'm not going to put a dollar into this. Like, how do you look at things? My first, uh, obviously CryptoKitties was the first one I got into. And then
1: I started looking at, for me, it was, it was kind of age and provenance. So uh, what came before CryptoKitties? Well, CryptoPunks. Well, I got to have some CryptoPunks because they're, those things are obviously super collectible. They were the first ones. You know, there's obviously things like rare pepes and, and, and other, you know, pretty obscure NFTs before that. But uh, so I look at age and what's really cool is you can see when exactly, you know, the to the second when when that NFT was created. So I like things that are old, old being 2017. I like projects that are associated with developers that have some sort of you know good reputation. So that's why I like uh, kitties because they're not going anywhere. You look at all the, the venture capital that's being invested in them and, and their team is is uh, pretty phenomenal. I put some money into Autoglyphs because they're the, you know, that's Larva Labs. They're behind uh, CryptoPunks. And then the other thing that interested me was Decentraland and, and CryptoVoxels, going back to the whole metaverse concept. I'm not a big sci-fi person, but, you know, I read Ready Player One and it's it seems inevitable that... That sort of platform will exist in the future. I think what happens is we 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 keep getting ahead of ourselves, trying to bring it to fruition earlier than it can be because the virtual reality technology isn't really there yet. But it's starting. It's starting to come. Even playing around in these in these worlds in browser is pretty compelling, and we're seeing some pretty interesting stuff with with crypto voxels. The whole art uh, crypto art genre and the way that those two are, are meshing together is is pretty neat. And decentraland is kind of going at it from a from a more traditional angle. So voxel is kind of you know it's a one man show. So they're they're just kind of selling land as they go and developing as they go. But it's completely accessible uh, throughout the whole process. Where D- DCL is trying to release a, a more more polished product before before everybody else can use it. So it'd be interesting to see which one has more success than the other. Is there room for is there room for multiple platforms in the future? I'm not sure about that. I think you're going to have one that really stands out and becomes the, the one that's more the most in demand, kind of like Facebook is today, right? There's no real other
0: competitor as far as, you know, that kind of social media goes. Even if these worlds have, let's say, teleporters to to each other or something very easy to flip to and from each one, you think that there's going to be a down one just as there's a basically just one down at social media provider? obviously it's going to be easy to teleport between two different platforms
1: but if they're sufficiently diverse in how they market themselves i think you'll just have people drawn toward one or the other there's not going to be the people aren't going to want to teleport to the other one to the other one because it doesn't have you know a or b or c aspect to it which makes it interesting so
0: you mentioned crypto voxels and and how the crypto art scene is really blowing up and it's really interesting to see how the, the artists are flocking to Crypto Voxels because they can showcase all their NFT art. And as you just mentioned that, that you think that there could be some different metaverse type worlds that have different focuses. So Crypto Voxels could be the art kind of focus and then Decentraland could be the, the game focus or whatever. What do you think about that? Do you think that people will flock to one or the other, or do you think that because artists are there or games are in Decentraland or whatever, that other things will expand from that.
1: Well, it's interesting because because Voxel's is really sort of a it almost feels like a grassroots you know user driven uh, development process, and it's very compelling that way. And it, and it's extremely it's super popular, and it's just continuing to to grow in that regard. And you're finding users actually wanting to lend their time and energy into the to the development process to make it better and better. Whereas DCL and I am not I, I don't have my finger on the pulse of, of uh decentralized development, but it's more of a you know, a corporate type environment where you have, you know, their team of developers and they're developing their own their product behind closed doors and eventually they'll release it to the public and, and let everybody use it. It's almost like open source versus closed source sort of thing. It seems to me that the first approach is just naturally going to be more popular. But on the other hand, if you look at the land markets, a parcel of land in Decentraland obviously depends on the location, is something like 10 or 15 times the price of, of a, a parcel in, in Crypto Voxels. It's crazy. What's driving that demand? I think in Crypto Voxels, or sorry, in, in, uh, in Decentraland, people are buying up land with the intention to somehow profit off of it, to, to run a business. To create money from the land, whereas crypto voxels, it's people are just buying their space in the universe so that, that they can that they can personalize kind of like you know like a like their Facebook wall back in the day or their MySpace page or that sort of thing. So on the one hand, you have end users buying land for their own personal expression and and you know just enjoy themselves. And then on the DCL side of things, you have people making investments from a business perspective. So it's probably not even, doesn't even make sense to compare the two. It's, it's the, the similarity ends at a land market. And beyond that, it's almost two different. They're trying to do two completely different things.
0: It's really interesting that you say that you shouldn't really compare the two because I feel like a lot of people say that they're competing, but you're actually correct in that they're going after, it's essentially different target audiences completely. So I, I do not know a lot of people that own any significant portion of crypto boxes land and then also Decentraland land it's kind of one or the other but that's a really interesting uh point you bring up and kind of going into that art nft art market we're looking at the past what month or so super rare and other nft art projects mainly super rare have just really been on fire and i wonder if that's because people are suddenly waking up to wow this this digital art is the best and you know we can you have wide distribution and you have provenance, like you mentioned, or is it because that there are some large NFT whales, large whales coming in and, and purchasing up uh, a lot of this stuff? And in turn, that also brings more people to the NFT art market. So it's kind of, you're adding liquidity, but then if you bring in more liquidity, people are attracted to that. So what are your thoughts on kind of the NFT art market and also how whales can affect NFT art market plus NFTs, NFT communities in general?
1: Obviously, uh, there's the two ends of the the spectrum as as far as investment goes. There are a handful of whales that are that are definitely driving that market. We saw the the most expensive art on super rare go from it feels it feels like it was just a couple of weeks ago. The most expensive one was like seven seven point seven ETH or something like that, and then one sold in the last week for I think seventy. So obviously, that that end of the market is is driven by whales. But then there's hundreds and hundreds of pieces of art that are just being sold for, you know, a couple dollars each to people who just admire the art. Right. Though this is, you know, this is a cool image. I want to, you know, I want to own that. That's so you've got the two ends of the spectrum. And then you have people coming in who are kind of in the middle who, you know, maybe maybe they're maybe they don't care about art at all. But they they see that, you know, such and such artist is selling some of their pieces for Thousands and thousands of dollars, and they they just they're they're looking to, to jump on the bandwagon and, and and flip it for profit, and uh, you know in a short period of time. And we see the same thing with the land market, and, and more so in DCL with with people buying estates and, and parcels and trying to flip them uh, for profit rather quickly. Whereas you know it, it, kind of, it could be kind of like you know trading Bitcoin in twenty eleven, like ooh I made ten percent today, but you know, maybe maybe you should have held on to that Bitcoin for seven or eight years and. You, that 10% could have turned into 100,000%. Uh, so you need both types of investors and traders to to make the market. So um, yeah, the art, I think the art aspect of NFTs is going to be going forward, probably one of the most important aspects of how this whole ecosystem is going to develop or why it's going to develop because everybody can relate to art, right? You don't need to be A trading card game guy you don't need to have any sort of understanding of blockchain it's just it's art and you can tell who the artist is you can you can tell how many copies of a specific piece of art they made most of the time it's not even necessary to try and value it right it's just one of those things that's subjective i like it or i don't like it and uh you can see all the artists coming in now and it's you know it's about time that artists are compensated for their work uh, so they're all coming in and and they're bringing in users and everybody's telling each other about it and it's it's kind of going viral, which is really neat to see. If you had asked me a couple months ago if Super Rare was going to be at the top of the you know seven day volume charts for for uh, NFT transactions, I would have I out have, I wouldn't have put any money on that bet, but uh, here they are. I think they might have been first place or or cl- very close to it in the last week, which is amazing. So I expect that trend to continue the land market has always been pretty hot i think it's getting a little hotter now the whole trend is just headed in the right direction 2019 was a little a little rough i think it got uh, it got a little a little depressing for some of us nft uh, aficionados but uh, as somebody who's you know sat on bitcoins in 2012 and you know even 2014 2015 and kind of endured all that this this all feels very
0: familiar that's a really cool point you bring up that everyone can relate to art and therefore you think it'll be a massive uh, NFT market going forward. And also how you bring up that it kind of relates to what we're seeing artists go into these virtual worlds and build these. Uh, you mentioned like a, your Facebook profile or your MySpace profile. They're building their own little digital galleries or digital physical, quote unquote, uh, manifestations of of their galleries or themselves are kind of showcasing what they do. I think that we're seeing this, the NFT space kind of combined and feed off of each other, which is really, really interesting. Because if you have all these projects kind of working together, in a sense, that would be, that becomes extremely powerful. So I want to know your thoughts on blockchain-based digital assets versus normal digital assets like a Fortnite skin or like a World of Warcraft sword or something like that
1: seems very obvious to me which you know which direction we're going to be headed in i think if you can't own digital assets outside of whatever ecosystem you first acquired them in then there's not going to be any demand for that if you can't trade openly if you can't completely control ownership that that's going to be the new standard it seems obvious to me you know maybe maybe i'm giving people too much credit maybe maybe most people won't care about these things but it could very well be my bitcoin and crypto background that's driving those those thoughts and ideas but it seems to me that if you had the choice between the two why wouldn't you choose proof of ownership why wouldn't you choose the ability to control your own your own assets and not have that you know lingering possibility of the platform shutting down and you losing everything that
0: you spent your money on so it just makes sense to me well, i agree with that completely obviously cuz we're both in the space but if you look at fortnite you know they've sold their free to play game they have 250 million users i think they made in i think it's 2017 or 2018 i don't remember they made 2.5 billion dollars off of selling digital items that are not on blockchain why obviously not everyone knows nfts exist but why are people spending so much money on these items that they know that they don't control and that the Fortnite could just shut down their account at any time, and seize their assets. They just—it's just
1: these people don't know any better, right? It's like you know, it's like being in the Matrix. You don't know that the Matrix Matrix exists. So, so everybody, you know, people need to be educated that there's another possibility out there. But then we go back to the same problem. If we had 250 million Fortnite users all of a sudden jump on Ethereum, what would happen, right? It would—it wouldn't—it wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't uh, work out too well. So we're kind of we're kind of in this at this stage where blockchain technology is although we're not you know, right now we're not pushing the limits of Ethereum. But if there was some sort of surge of interest all of a sudden like there was at the end of twenty seventeen, where CryptoKitties actually completely overwhelmed Ethereum and made it completely unusable for developers and users for any other any other apps, any other dApps, everybody would just Give up on it. So we're kind of in a holding pattern right now, where the technology exists and it makes sense, and seems to me it's compelling enough that everybody's going to want to switch over to this new standard. But the technology can't handle it yet. So, and maybe that's why you know Axiom's coming out with their own uh, their own blockchain. They're coming out with Flow uh, next year, conceivably, uh, to try and address some of these issues
0: that kind of gives you an idea of how early we are. So right now everything is on Ethereum and when you look at the future, you know, 10 years down the line, are you worried about like chain longevity? So will my painting that I bought, you know, in 2018, will that still exist in 10 years from now? Are you concerned about that at all and um, do you have any thoughts about how we could fix that? I mean, now right now we're getting
1: into the uh you know, the developer weeds, but from somebody with my kind of background, uh, it's it's more faith based than anything. I'm kind of trusting uh, the people that know how to operate these things to to keep them working. I don't think it's going to happen overnight. I don't I don't think uh, we're going to wake up one morning and uh, Ethereum is gone. If the writing's on the wall, and and, and that's the great thing about having all these competing uh, platforms, right? We have EOS and Tron and Ethereum. They've all got their own F- NFT ecosystems. Uh, they're not all going to disappear, and if if one of them turns out to be the, you know, the, the the platform of choice, if it just makes more sense that NFTs are on Tron or whatever, then uh, we'll just see a, a graceful migration over to that to that other platform. I don't I don't I think there's enough interest in CryptoKitties or whatever NFT you want to choose that. It's going to be ensured that they
0: continue to survive on whatever platform exists in the future. So I'm not too worried about that. All right. Let's go into the closing questions. And first one is, what is your single favorite NFT that you own? Uh, Without a doubt, that would be my seven
1: trait CryptoPunk. There were 10,000 CryptoPunks created uh, when they came out. And for some reason, just by luck, as far as I understand it your listeners can correct me if i'm wrong only one cryptopunk ended up with seven distinct traits so he's got he's got a hat he's got a beard he's got a he's got a buck teeth he's got a gold earring sunglasses and a cigarette so and there's no other cryptopunk with uh, seven traits so that that is my prized possession interesting so so all the cryptopunks they have what five or six traits Anywhere from zero to seven. So you have the zero trade punks, which are really rare as well. Kind of, it's kind of odd that they that they exist. I think there's six of them, six or seven. The one traits are a little rare as well. But then yeah, two, three, four, five are pretty common, and six is pretty rare, and seven is obviously there's only one of them. So and he's, he's pretty cool looking too. So if if you
0: look at my uh, Nifty Report Twitter account, you'll see him. You'll see him on there. All right. Next question is. If I'm a totally new person entering that non fungible token space, where do I start and what do I do?
1: Really, it it depends on where your interests lie. I mean, if you're, uh, you know, if you're coming from a a gaming background and there's a certain type of game you like, maybe maybe you want to get into Gods Unchained. If you're if you're, uh, I don't know, if you like pictures of cats, you get into CryptoKitties. It's it's going to depend on it's going to depend on what your personal background is. Maybe you're into VR. And you're just looking for a, a good investment, or if you just want to play around in that sort of environment, you know, look at Crypto boxes, look at Decentraland. If you're just looking for a broad overview of how it all works, you know, get on Google and just start searching NFTs, and you'll find, you know, people come across your, you know, your blog, uh, Andrew, and there's a lot of good information on there. Check out Twitter. I mean, it's such a fast-moving space, and it seems like every week there's a new, new NFT coming out. There's a new game. There's a new metaverse there's there's some sort of new collectible we got nike putting shoes on the blockchain we got microsoft uh issuing nfts as rewards to uh to their users i mean it's it's uh every week there's something new coming out so just uh, keep an eye out for what interests you and um if you're st- starting way back if you don't even know what uh, blockchain technology is if you don't know what crypto is then obviously that's going to be your starting point but um, between Obviously, it depends what country you're from, but, you know, Cash App and Square or Coinbase, it's pretty, the on-ramps to crypto are getting, are getting uh, a lot easier than they used to be. So, uh, you know, pick up some crypto and then
0: uh, you can hop on OpenSea and see what's for sale and, and start dabbling. Awesome. This next one is a little bit broad, actually quite broad. What is something you'd like to see happen to the NFT ecosystem or something that you think needs to happen?
1: Is Jim's uh, interview going to be... Aired at this point, will it make sense for me to ref- reference that? Yeah, yeah. Actually, it just
0: aired this morning, so that'd be great.
1: What needs to happen in the NFT ecosystem? The standards for NFTs need to be polished a little bit. We're having some issues right now with what determines the the quality of an NFT. For some NFTs, all it is is a, is a reference to a token on the blockchain, and and every other piece of data about that NFT. Is is not decentralized whatsoever. So, for example, if if an artist comes along and they issue their their art, their digital art, on a specific platform, and that platform disappears with with all their storage, well, that art's gone, and all you're gonna have is a token on a blockchain. And this goes back to the capabilities of, of blockchain as it stands today. There just there is we don't have that ability to store. A detailed image file on on a blockchain. It's just it just takes up too much room. And it would cost too much money in, in terms of transaction fees. That's the big development and evolution that needs to happen over the coming two or three years, which I think is uh, it's obviously on its way. That's where that's where all the development is going. Um, so until that until that can happen, and then th- therefore allow the standards to be finalized. Um, we're going to be kind of in a. We're going to be kind of stuck, as far as NFT development goes, and we might find that we're kind of sitting around twiddling our thumbs, waiting for that to happen before the masses can really come in and and uh, adopt this. Well, speaking of adoption, what are the key factors for success of an NFT project? Uh, the big thing, which I think we're seeing the most concern from from users is the ability to depend on the developers behind the project. We don't want to see something like an ICO where it's a it's a giant cash grab and then nothing comes of it. We need to see some sort of uh, proof of longevity, if you will, that you know if you invest in a game or an NFT that's part of a game, you want to you want to know that that game is going to continue to exist a year from now. Otherwise, why, you know, why own the NFT at all? Maybe it'll retain some sort of historical collectible value, but, but that's pretty high risk. From my perspective, uh, you want to see a strong team behind what you're investing in or behind what you're participating in if, if it's not a major investment, if it's just something you're, you're playing around in. Again, pretty broad question, but
0: where do you see the world of NFTs in, in three years from now?
1: Three years, I like, I like that number of three years because um, that's a long time in the world of, of crypto. I and mean, if you look at 2010 to 2013 or 2014 to 2017, right? How much changed in that period of time? Three years in NFTs, I think we're going to see some new platforms or some new some new types of NFTs that don't currently exist today. I think we're going to see, instead of counting you know, tens of thousands of dollars a week in transactions—we're going to be in the millions. At that point, I expect we'll have the the blockchain technology that can support that sort of volume and participation. Uh, yeah, three years from now, that's uh, that's going to be exciting. That's going to be really exciting. So, um, yeah, my recommendation to anybody is if you're if you're in the space now and you're and you're looking at it from an investment perspective, you know, don't don't settle for those those 10% gains you can get next week, I would, uh, I would hold on to what you have now because I'll give you an example. Let's, let's look at, let's look at the daily user base of, uh, crypto kitties, 250 on a good day, 250 people. And how many, how many people are playing Fortnite right now? It's 250 million. Right. So we're talking about a factor, you know, a million, a factor of a million. It's kind of mind-blowing what's possible. I think like we got a taste of it with Gods Unchained when they had that that
0: promotion with Blizzard when um, I didn't follow it super closely. The Hearthstone uh, streamer, or the tournament winner of Hearthstone was banned or something.
1: Yeah, he was banned. So he lost access to his account and, and everything he owned on on his account. So that was the perfect opportunity for Gods Unchained to, to prove what NFTs are capable of, right? And then we saw some like... 10,000 people come over to God's Unchained and and get excited about it, you know, daily transactions of of a quarter million dollars or more. It was, it was nuts. I think that's a small taste of what we'll end up seeing. I mean, who knows, who knows what the actual event is going to be that's going to drive another, that type of viral interest again. But uh,
0: between, you know, now and three years from now, chances are that sort of thing will happen several times over and the last question i'd love to hear more about nifty report which is your newsletter that you launched i think only last month right
1: yeah so i'm kind of going back to my roots um, i started a blog at the bitcoin it was called the bitcoin which is it's now defunct but if you were to go on uh, archive.org and look up the bitcoin you'll see, you'll be able to find some of my articles but yeah the, the website doesn't exist anymore I guess it's kind of my habit when I get excited about something, I want to tell people about it. So about a month ago, I started a Twitter account and a newsletter called Nifty Report. And uh, I'm just trying to present what's happening in the ecosystem in a, a, because I don't have a developer background, it's kind of easier for me to communicate on that level. So I'm trying to present what's happening with NFTs and and what they're all about to anybody that that's interested, anybody that's completely new to the space and might have no clue about what they are, um, that's sort of the the tact I'm taking. It's a completely free newsletter. I'm not charging anything for it. You know, if I end up with a hundred thousand subscribers, maybe I'll maybe I'll try to to you know monetize it in some aspect in the future. But for now, it's completely free. And obviously, the Twitter account's free. So it's um, yeah, I'm just really excited about it. And
0: I want to tell people about what's going on. So that's what that's what I'm doing. Is it mostly market updates or is it mostly kind of researching different projects or is it kind of a a mixture of all this stuff
1: it's a mixture um i'm i'm leaning more towards what's going on in the market but i also want to i'm kind of using it as a motivator to get myself more interested in in nfts that i wouldn't really dabble in um i'm kind of I don't want to say maxed out as far as investing in NFT NFTs goes, but I've I've kind of I'm not really investing anymore right now. I'm kind of sitting around waiting to see what happens. But I still want I'm still curious about you know what these new these new games are and what these what these new tokens are and what they're doing with them, and especially on other blockchains. Like there are lots of DApps on EOS and Tron, and there's Engine, and they've got their own NFTs, and there's thousands of users over there. And what's what's interesting is we're kind of because people tend to use that one blockchain that they're already using. There's a gap there. There's there's a wall. Nobody's really, or very few people are dabbling in, in both. I'm going to try and force myself to get over to those other blockchains and figure out what's going on over there and what those people are interested in and, and what they're doing. if there's an investment opportunity over there, or just, I'm just curious about What those it's almost like they're alien people we we don't even we don't even follow each other on twitter it's 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 very strange so it kind of makes you think like in the future are we all going to are we all going to lean towards one blockchain is there going to be a one winner or is is there going to be like windows and mac and linux and there's just going to be you know different operating systems that all succeed in one way or another it's it's kind of interesting so so i intend to to keep exploring, exploring So It sounds like I can just
0: subscribe and basically do a lot of the homework for me and I can just read the pure information. So it sounds pretty ideal.
1: It's an understatement to say it's a full-time job to keep up, keep up with what's going on. Like I've, uh, I've kind of been online offline for, uh, for half the day for the last uh, week or so I've been, you know, using my mornings to take care of, Real life responsibilities, and I find just being offline for twelve hours and coming back on, I, I'm I'm kind of lost. Everything's moving so quickly; it takes a long time to catch up. So, if I can do that for people and and just have a a newsletter go to their email inbox to keep them updated with what's going on, I think I can save them a lot of uh, a lot of grief.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Go West. I'll definitely link that newsletter and the Twitter below in the uh, description of the podcast. Thank you so much for this. This has been an awesome conversation.
1: Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Uh, Yeah, once again, nice talking to you, and
0: uh, I'll see you on Discord. Hey, everyone. Stay tuned for more episodes of the Zima Red podcast and subscribe to the Zima Red newsletter for more info on all things NFTs. Thanks so much for listening.